Cool. Right. Yeah, that's about it. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've allowed us to, to come here and to study your word again. I just pray that you can help our hearts to be opened, our minds to be um, challenged, and that somehow our lives for the better will be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So who, who, saw the, who saw the title of the, um, of the Bible study, the working title? Anybody? So I went on the I went on the chat to get the link. I haven't really looked at everything else. Something about mountains and valleys, I think. Alright, cool. The mountains top and the valley. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. So does anybody recognize the picture that you see on the screen? Or I'm I'm suggesting you probably don't recognise it, but I would be pretty impressed if someone goes, Yeah, 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 that's this mountain. It's more of like a hill, to be honest, but we're going to call it a mountain, right? Okay, so I'm assuming you guys don't know what this hill is. Okay, so we're going to get there um, as we go. So let's, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Now, um, there isn't a lot of context to go into this with, probably a bit more as we go into verse 1, but you can imagine... Um, we're deep into Christ's ministry at this point. Um, you know, he's been going around healing people, da, da, da. the Pharisees and the scribes are on his back as usual. Um, and the disciples have been traveling. They've been traveling around the Israel area, you know, around Jerusalem, around Galilee, or, you know, going all over the place. They're spreading the word, going from town to town, etc. Right, so this is where we are in the story, and we pick it up in chapter 17. So, if we could, I was actually debating with myself whether we should read the whole of it and then go through, or whether we just should, should just start going through from the start. Um, and I think we're just going to start going through from the start, just so we, we uncover the story as we go. Right, so um, if someone could read verse 1 of chapter 17, please. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart. Cool. All right. What's the problem? What's the problem we, we arise? Problem. Right at the, yeah, problem. 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 Right. What, 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 what problem do we see right at the start of this verse? So where were they? It's on the Sabbath? Is that um, where were the rest of the disciples? Where were the rest of the disciples? Right? Oh, right. Jesus says, I'll take who? Peter, James and, John. James and John up to the top of the mountain, right? Which means somehow he said to the rest of the disciples, you chill here. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. So here's Peter, James and John. Oh, we got, we're the ones who got chosen. And the rest of them are like, ah. Oh. Didn't, yeah, didn't, didn't, quite, <laughs> didn't quite make the cut, right? <laughs> okay. Now, um, reading Desire of Ages, right, where this, this has been a long walk at this point. Mm. So as they're going, as they see them, imagine you're, you're where the camera is being taken right now, right? So imagine we're sitting here looking at the mountain and Jesus is like, right, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make our way up. And you've already done, say, 10 miles. Mm. Yeah, this is looking like a bit of an effort at this point. Mm. You're like, I'm hungry, I'm tired already. Mm. Like, and now you want me to climb up this mountain, 
no, there's no food coming, no nothing, just, just mountain walk, yeah? Say no more, right? So they're struggling up the mountain, and we get to verse 2. Someone can read. And was, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. Cool. What's happened? He showed them his divine form. He showed them the, his divine form. Okay. Yeah. What's going on? So, so you can imagine them walking up the mountain, Peter, James, John, and Jesus, mm. and then what happens? They're a bit tired. They're a bit... Mm, and then what's going on? What happens? Like, suddenly... They get energy back. They get energy back. But what's the, what does the Bible say? It just says... Um... Behold, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias after talking. Yeah, before in verse two. In verse two, and trend, and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. Right. So what's going on? Like you're walking with Jesus, and then what happens? You're really getting blinded. Not quite blinded, but that you can imagine this bright light comes up on top of the mountain, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're walking up. It's normal. They've been walking with Jesus for for, for probably about a year and a half now, if not longer. Um, and suddenly they got to the top of the mountain and they think, oh, oh, I've got some rest. And boom, right? Jesus' clothes change. Mm. Jesus' face changes. Mm. Um, his, it's almost like, you know, what it, imagine to yourself like what it would be like when Jesus comes, yeah? Mm. And say you're one of the 144,000 that got yeah. caught, get caught up into the air with him. Yeah. Right? This is the kind of transformation we're kind of seeing mm. Jesus undergo right now, mm. Yeah. So you can imagine, what, what do you think the disciples are thinking at this point? Maybe they think they'll die. Maybe they think they'll die? What else? Come on, guys, you've got to talk to me. Like, who is this guy to just be, like, switching up just like that? Yeah. We've never seen before. Real talk, right? Like... What's going on? Like Jesus is Jesus was a virgin, like it was a yeah, obviously they respected him, he's the son of God, but he was a man. And two twos, they walked up the thing, the whole thing has just changed. The whole thing, like I can imagine they're probably not that tired anymore. You know what I mean? Like they've woken up, like this this is now a, like a scene like out of heaven. Calm down, right? Now verse three. So can read verse three. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Cool. <laughs> so then, so, 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 so get this, right? You're Peter, James, or John, right? Sitting there. And not only Jesus transforms like he did, he walks over, almost say to the center of the light, you can imagine. And suddenly there's two other men there. Just out of random, there's two other men there. And I don't know if they recognised who Moses and Elias was, but let's imagine through audible conversation that they understand that it's Moses and Elijah, mm. right? Elias. Elias meaning Elijah, right? Oh, Elias yeah. is Elijah, oh. right? So you can imagine, like, they're shocked, like, you've been reading about Moses, the greatest prophet, like, mm. sorry, the, the, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the greatest prophet, mm. right? And now they're there in front of you. 
Yeah, they're, they're in front of you. So you can imagine they're just all these. Like, have you guys had a mountain top experience before? Like, what's a mountain top experience? When you're at like a high point in your spiritual walk, where you you're feel, at a high point. Yeah. yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah, just you're you're at a high point in your spiritual walk. You feel like I'm in. This is the seat. This is like the best period of my season. Like everything just seems to be falling into place for you. Like, yeah, that's what's the what's the emotions that you start feeling? Um, like. like it'll take a lot to take me down it'll take a trust like you're gonna have to get hit hard in it for you to come down from here Mm. like this like i'm happy i'm joyful like my understanding and my feeling towards god is at all-time high Mm. like i want to stay in this place you have that feeling of i want to be here for as long as possible Yeah, yeah yeah so you can imagine this is where um this is where they are right now peter james and john i want to be in this place for as long as possible. Like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. yeah? This is the most spiritual I have ever felt in my life. Right? Yeah. I want this to last. Yeah. Right? Now before we go into the next couple parts of the story, what do you think the um, the significance of Moses and Elijah being there is? Um, you can break that down. I think when you look at the both of them in their ministry, Moses Moses died, but he was able to go. He was caught up in heaven as well. He was resurrected and he went to heaven after. Yeah. Uh, Elijah, he also, well, Elijah, he, yeah, he, he, he saw heaven without heaven, without death, basically. So you could yeah. say that these two represent like um, God's people, like two different types of God's people who will see heaven, those that won't see death and those that will die, but um, when the trumpet sounds, they, they'll be raised and caught up with him. Perfect, Mike. Cool. Right. So just to reiterate, Moses died, but then God said, you know, we read this in Jude, um, the devil had taken claim of Moses, like, no, Moses has died, he's in the grave now. And God said, no, 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 Moses is my friend. Mm. Yeah? I miss Moses. So Moses got resurrected because God missed him right, and got taken up to heaven. Same way Elijah, we read about Elijah getting caught up in the fiery chariots and gets taken up to heaven in front of Elisha, Mm. right? As Michael said, represents these two types of people that will be in heaven at the time of the end. Those who will be alive on the ground, the 144,000, right, that will be caught up into the air with him like Elijah was, and those who were dead in the ground but will be resurrected like Moses was, right? Mm. But it gets deeper, right? What was Jesus doing there? What did Jesus say? Let's go up to the top of the mountain. What do you guys think? To show them the view, maybe? Show them the view. Probably not to show them the view. Why do you think he took Peter, James and John? I've heard people say that they were his inner circle. But they I were his circle. I don't know if um, 
they were his inner circle, brought them on these things, or if they were his inner circle, so he brought them on these things, if that makes sense. All right. So, so if we read later on in Matthew and then obviously in other Gospels as well, who does, he t- who does Jesus take to the inner part of the garden in the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter, James and John, right? So he leaves the other disciples kind of at the edge of the garden, let's say, and then Peter, James and John go with Jesus in a bit closer and then he leaves those three there and he goes a bit further in, mm. right? Mm. So this is almost like a pre like a pre getting getting to grips with this whole idea that actually Jesus is going to die soon, mm. right? At the end of this ministry, at the end of this journey that we're on as, as disciples of Jesus, Jesus is going to die. And so this is in Jesus' mind at this point. He's thinking about it. He's worried about it. Um, and he needs, he, he, he needs some strength from God, right? And he used to always go off into, the, into nature in the mornings and pray to God, right? So this is almost like, uh, an extra bit of, of, of power, of spiritual power that Jesus needs right, to go through what he's about to go through. And he takes Peter, James and John like he did in the garden with him. Right? What do you think he's talking to? Because he's, he's now talking to, it says, Moses and Elijah talking with him. What do you think they were talking about? Long time ago. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Is that Reuben or Nathan? I think your mic is muted if you're talking. Reuben. No, I was saying um, maybe it was just kind of like, like, you said something a little while ago, you said that um, God wanted to raise up because he was his friend. Yeah, I miss you. So maybe this conversation wasn't so much, uh, uh, you know, very, very, I'm not going to say not big, but maybe it was just a case of catching up long time to see, just having that relationship. Interesting. Okay. Possibly it could have been a, a quick catch up, like how you doing? How's the ministry going? Right, what else? Come on, guys, you got you got to help me out here. Is it because um, Jesus wanted to learn from them about salvation, practically? Um, it is about salvation, but not necessarily Jesus needs to learn from them about what salvation, practically. But it's definitely about salvation. Because they've both been through what he's gearing up to go for, isn't it? One way or another. Kind of. All right, let me help you guys out, right? Moses and Elijah are in heaven let me say prematurely yeah yeah they're in heaven prematurely which means that in heaven given jesus goes through what he goes through mm. because both of them have sinned yeah. and fallen short of the glory of god right mm. and the only way us people can get over their sins right is through the blood of jesus mm. so they did the whole lamb sacrifice before but all of that was pointing to jesus mm. and so if jesus doesn't die all of that was useless mm. You understand, right? So now Elijah and Moses, prematurely in heaven, for at this point, for a good thousands of years, right? They've been they've been in heaven, and now Moses and Elijah are now talking to Jesus, likely saying, "Yo, like, 
keep going. You got this. Mm. Because if you don't, like we <laughs> we we should be getting kicked out of heaven too. You understand? Our our sins are still on us if you don't go through what you're going through. So please, like, keep going. Like, here's the strength. Here's the here's the wisdom. Here's here's the spiritual strength because we need you to go. Keep going, right? That's the kind of conversation that's going on there. You know what? It reminds me of as well. I'm just thinking, if that, if we're saying that the whole reason that you know Jesus met with them is to see these other people that you know I, I'm I'm doing this for, if that makes sense, you know, to put mm. faith again and to remember that these are my friends and this is why I'm here. Then it reminds me of um, that time when uh, he was hungry and he met the woman by the well, and when all is said and done and he's been able to give the gospel to her, you know, he turns around and he says, "This is my." Um, the disciples come back and they say, we've got food. Yeah, are you still hungry? Let's eat. And he's like, I've already had my food. You know, yeah. the sustenance that Jesus had, it was mm. like being done. And in reality, in seeing his two friends, he's there seeing that the work is being done and seeing what the end result is. So I agree with that. For sure. Right. Seeing what the end result is. Big time. Right. Cool. So this is the conversation that Jesus is having. This is the purpose of why Jesus is going up into the mountain in the first place. Um, but we still have who? Peter, James, and John there. Yeah. Right? Now, what do we see from them in verse 4? Someone can read verse 4. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Okay, so, so Peter opens his mouth, as, as he usually does. What is, what is he saying? So let us worship. Maybe. Come on, guys. Yeah, let us worship. But what, what is he saying? What does he say? What's the, what's the modern word for tabernacle? Church. Church, right? Wait, so what's so Peter asking for? That's for Moses, Peter, and Jesus. Sorry, right. Moses and Elijah. Right. So Jesus, Moses, and Elijah out there. Peter's like, let's build three churches up here on the mountain. Peter, who's up there on the mountain? Who's up there? Jesus, Moses. Just them six. Them six people. And he wants three churches for them six, for, for, for them six people. You understand? What's it, <laughs> what was Peter thinking? He was thinking, oh, we should bring everyone else. Like, <laughs> it's, Moses, <laughs> it's Moses, Elijah, like, and Jesus, and the Son of God. Like, why not just have everyone come up here? Right? Let's, let's bring everyone, right? And more so, it's kind of what we were talking about before in terms of when we're in that spiritual place. It's like, I don't want to leave here. Like this, like I, I'm feeling like the light, the energy, the the. I'm seeing Moses and Elijah and Jesus like talking. Jesus is now looking like Jesus should be. Mm. Like this is Jesus, like looking, looking like like the Son of God, Jesus, yeah. right? And and I like and what you're gonna have to tell me in a, in a couple hours. We're gonna have to leave here. No, 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 no. Like let's build some churches so we can worship, mm. right? Just us. Let's just like other people can come later, but let's just let's just do this like like here. Let's there's six of us. Let's just make three churches and then good to go. Yeah. Obviously, that's not the mission. Yeah, 
like the mission is it to take your your mountaintop experience and keep keep there by yourself on the mountaintop. So obviously Jesus was like, "Yeah, we're not making free churches, right?" What happened? Let's 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 continue. Uh, uh, was someone gonna say something? Are we good? No. Okay. Um, verse four. Sorry, verse five. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Okay. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Cool. What do you guys think? What's going on? I think um, we've just heard Peter turn around and say, you know, let's make three churches. Mm. And I feel like it's understandable. You know, he's grown up in a religion where Moses is basically a deity. Yeah. And Elijah has also got that same clout. That's, uh, I don't know a better word to be fair, but you know, that same that's around Elijah too. And I feel like this is almost God's response. Um, saying actually but this is my son mm. this is the focus he's the one you need to listen to so yeah for sure yeah I agree like I think that was just the common thought at the time even the way the Pharisees taught the law of Moses just there was like special emphasis on the law of Moses as if that was, as if Moses was a God, as if Moses was the one that wrote those commandments on, on the tablet. So yeah, like you were saying, God's almost like, almost rebuking Peter in a sense, just saying like, yeah, I see what you mean, but Moses and Jesus isn't on equal footing with these two. Jesus, Jesus is the person that deserves our attention. And yeah. That's, yeah, it's quite interesting. So, and it says, the when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, for they were so afraid, so afraid, right? What does that tell you about the disciples? Like, we saw that they were, like, really afraid when they heard the voice of God come through the cloud. Right? So the bright cloud came over, and it said, God said, this is my beloved son for whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Right? And their response was, the disciples heard it and they fell on their face and they were very afraid. What does that tell us about the disciples? Mm. Um. What does that tell us? Maybe that they didn't trust that he really was the son of God. They didn't trust that he would break that down a bit more. So, like, 
like they they knew like from uh, they had they had like a level of faith in him to be following him for as long as they have been that he's the son of God, right? But I don't think they they perhaps no. This is most definitely the first time they've, they've experienced God like that. Mm. So, that's 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 it, right? Yeah. So say that again, in fact. I was saying like they known that he's the son of God because they've been following up to this point. But this is the first time that they've experienced God like that, where they're hearing the audible, right. like, all the phenomenal that's going on. Uh, can I ask a question? Yeah, go for it. Like, so Jesus transfigured in front of them. They didn't seem too thrown off by that. They just seemed more <laughs> surprised. So why is it now that it's a voice from heaven there? They're all scared. I think that's one thing that I'm just curious. Maybe because they can't well. see the form of the Godhead, but they can see Jesus. I don't know. Because they can't see the Godhead speaking, but they can hear it. Mm. Mm. But they saw a cloud, but they didn't. True, true, true. It's, it's, it's when they saw, heard the voice that they fell on their faces. So yeah. that's um, interesting. I, I was going to say maybe it shows their comfortability with Jesus, mm. whether mm. that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they've been spending a lot of time with him mm. and kind of like know him. And maybe the way that they feel about God the Father is is different and they're still mm. yeah for, for real right so there's this almost idea that god the father is kind of a big scary like i heard before that how he dealt with the israelites back in the day like don't, don't really want to you know get on his bad side all this but jesus feels like this very kind of comforting healing the sick yeah. raising the dead you know turning water into wine feeding the 5,000 kind of guy so somehow there's this idea that Jesus and God are like two different people two different two different um personalities almost and what it shows is that they didn't really what Imhotep said was was true they didn't know God like that so when they heard God's voice it was like this is the first time they experienced God because they hadn't really experienced God through Jesus they were just following him around but they hadn't really come to grips with who God was because when they because I mean Jesus himself says if you see me you see the father right but they hadn't fully come to grips with that that, that concept yet so they hear this big powerful booming voice from the clouds you can imagine the, 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 the ground is rumbling and uh, straight is straight afraid. We see the same scene when, when um, the children, God comes to talk to the children of Israel when they come out of Egypt. And they're like, no, 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 we can't deal with that. We can't just talk to Moses and let Moses talk to us because we can't handle that. Yeah, because their relationship with God wasn't at a point in which they could deal with hearing that. But yeah, let's continue. What I, just just as a as a point of reflection, how much do do we? How much do our, does our relationship with God allow us to hear God's voice, and to understand that He's loving and that He wants the best for us, and you know we have faith that we can can go by what He says. How much are we kind of tapping into that, or are we just is God just a distant thought? Just a just a little um, rhetorical question. But yeah, verse six. Or verse 7, shall I 
and Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. All right, keep going, Pastor. Sorry, before you even go yeah. to verse, just oh, another. Yeah. We've literally just said, um, Marie said, maybe um, the whole idea of God speaking then um, was this idea that let's make God personal. You guys have had your experience, and now you've not really, really been able to see God like that before. So let's make God a person, God, someone with a actually you can hear. And everyone else said as well that you know maybe it's the idea of now they're they're ready for that experience with God, to yeah. add, not been able to hear His voice before and to experience Him as a entity that they can actually engage with. But mm. now we're at a place where they can do that. And yet the first thing that's happening after they've fallen down in horror for their lives because they don't really comprehend what's going on with them. And again, as you said, Reese, the idea that God is this, um, this, this just entity that's just too big for them to understand. Even after that horror, the first thing that we see them experiencing is um, in verse 7, Jesus came, comes to them and touching them. Yeah, Physically, giving them that reassurance that I'm here yeah. and saying guys and being afraid. So the same way that um, I've heard it said so much in my life that Jesus is like God in a language that we can understand. Mm. Even though their senses are still struggling to understand what just happened to them. They open their eyes and the first thing they see is Jesus standing over them with his hand on their shoulders. For sure. And this is where the rubber hits the road, right? Because, um, and this kind of just dawned on me properly just now. When, um, the reason why they're fully afraid, right? Obviously, if you hear a big booming voice and you hear the ground shaking, you know, you probably fear for your life a bit, right? But the reason why they're properly afraid, so much so that it's not just like they're scared to the point where like they screamed or something, but it says they put their face to the ground, mm. right? Which, which signifies a, a humility, right? A humility about the situation which to me tells me that they're really thinking, yo, if, if God the Father is here and I'm Peter or I'm James and I'm John with my sinful state, I'm about, to get, I'm about to get fried right now. I'm seeing Moses and Elijah and Jesus over there looking all holy and I look to the right and to the left and I look down at myself and I'm thinking, boy, we don't look like them. And God the Father's here. Like, this, this don't feel like... Just don't feel like this is where I should be. So when you have an experience of God like that, it's like, boy, you know, I, I don't know if I can hack this from a spiritual sense. But what's amazing is right after that, Jesus comes over to the touches on the shoulder and says, arise, do not be afraid. Because Jesus, his whole purpose of being here is, is to be the intermediary between those two parties. And so we're seeing Jesus come over and be like, you know what? It's all right. Come, you can come to me with your sinful self and we'll go to the Father together. And the Father will see me in place of you. So you're good. That reminds me of um, any story ever or any film ever that I've watched where you've got somebody that's about to discipline or you know, about to fight somebody and then they turn around and they see someone in the room that they don't want to see them like that. And it, it goes away. 
you know, they've got their daughter in their room or their wife or their girlfriend or someone like that. And they realize that the person that's attacking or that's disciplining or bullying this other person is not the person that I want that loved one to see. And so I'm kind of backing it away. Mm. And I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that, say that God is like two-faced and won't do things like that in front of Jesus. But rather that I did that because Jesus is in the room. Because Jesus is, as you said, the intermediary um, party there. I think I just made up a word, but because Jesus is the one standing in between. Um, yeah. That, you know, we're okay. For sure. All right, that's it. So it says they lifted, um, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus, right? And, and in Desire of Ages, it says they were up there on the mountain all night. Right, so they're up there for, for a good few hours, right? So you can imagine, like, they've just experienced some heavy stuff. Always, like, they're kind of looking at one another like, rah, like, we just saw Jesus transformed. Then we saw Moses and Elijah. And, and, and even, we heard the voice of God come down just now. Like, like this is this as we said this is like the most spiritual experience they've ever had in their life at this point bar none this is like past all the healing past all the miracles jesus has done past even the teachings this is now an experience this is like we've seen it right so now they're coming down the mountain and we come to verse nine what does verse nine say And they came down from the mountain. Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And what's interesting, what I find interesting here is that so many times that we see throughout the, um, the Gospels that Jesus says time and time again, the Son of Man will die and he'll rise in three days. The Son of Man will rise again. The Son of Man will rise again. The Son of Man will, you know, came here to suffer, die, and rise again. Right? We see this over and over again. Yet, when it comes time for Jesus to actually go through what he's going through, the disciples know what's going on. And they, they run away. And, you know, Peter denies Christ. And, and Judas hangs himself. And the disciples are dispersed. And there's only John there at the, at the cross. Right? And you're like, but he warned you about this. He was talking about this over and over again. How, how at this point were you like, right, this is all over. Christ is done. Like, he told you in three days. But anyway, right? So, he says, don't talk about it, right? Don't talk, don't talk. And you can imagine on their lips, they're burning, they're ready. Like, the other disciples need to hear about this. Boy, when I get back, I'm going to tell Matthew and I'm going to tell all the rest of them, yo, guess what we just saw? But Jesus is like, look, don't, don't say anything until I've risen again, right? Verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? Okay. So the disciples asked him why then 
say the scribe is Allah's most first come. So basically, they're, they're talking about a, a, pro- a prophecy because Jesus is saying, right, I'm about to die. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't, isn't, like, doesn't the prophecy say Elijah is supposed to come first? Like, uh, yeah, you can't die yet. And what does, what does Jesus say? Verse 11. And 12. Uh, verse 11 and Jesus answered and said unto them Elias truly shall first come and restore all things verse 12 but I say unto you that Elias is come already and they knew him not but have done unto him whatsoever they listed likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them right who's he talking about spoiler alert it says in verse 13 John the Baptist John the Baptist, right? The forerunner. Okay, so that was prophesied as Elias will come. It was was in the form of John the Baptist. Okay, so that's the first, like, half of the story, right? So Jesus leads the um, nine disciples, takes um, Peter, James, and John up the mountain. They have this amazing experience. Jesus says, look, don't tell anyone that this happened until I rise again. They're like, oh, and they get all a bit fidgety. Oh, don't, don't, don't tell us that. Like, this is, this is Elijah supposed to come. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, but Elijah, Elijah's already come in the form of John the Baptist. Yeah? Okay. So, we go into part two, which is verse 14. Mm-hmm. And we see what the uh, disciples have been getting up to while they've been up there on the mountain. Yeah? So, verse 14. And, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore and vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And, and verse, I, verse 16, just, just so we get that bit. Okay. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Cool. What's going on? What's just happened in those three verses? You've got a father that's um, bringing his son that it's almost like he's giving up hope for. Um, his, his son's like tormented and doing all types of craziness. When he says he falls into the water and he falls into the fire, it makes you wonder if it's not, you know, it's almost like he's trying to end his life. Mm. Um, and I brought him to thy disciples and they couldn't cure him. So I don't, you know, we, we, we've already heard that they've been up there one night. So you've got to wonder, when did this part of the story start? Has the disciples only been trying for 10 minutes? Have they been there for hours trying to get rid of this demon and nothing's happening? Yeah. Yeah, you can almost imagine, right? So let's say, this is, this is the scene. Let me, let me just set the scene right there, right? So before Jesus and, and Peter, James and John have come down from the mountain, there's the disciples here with this demon-possessed boy. Right, and not only is the demon possessed boy there with his father, but there's like a, almost like a, a multitude around now. Like people have come to see 
oh, these are Jesus' disciples. Like, what's going, what's going on here? And you can see, like, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees actually starting to gather around as well and be like, and start to ridicule them. Like, yeah, come on then. Like, you're Jesus' people, yeah? So, you know, if, you, if you're really who you say you are, mm. come through. Mm. Yeah, come through. Like, if, you, if you're Jesus' disciples and, you know, you're supposed to be you know, like these people, then come through. And not only that, but Jesus in chapter, if we go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse, verse 8, mm. right? Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, this is when Jesus is Jesus' disciples and, and gives them their, their mission, right? It says in verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye received, freely give. Mm. Right? So this is almost like their... Um, Matthew 20 verse 19 and 20 this is their commission yeah so Jesus is like look go out two by two go do like kill people um, take out demons like preach the name of Jesus you're good like go do the thing so at this point you should, they should be feeling pretty confident Jesus himself gave them this mission they're like yeah cool we can handle it so you can imagine um, Matthew comes up first it's tax collector yeah don't worry I've got this and he and he, and he puts his hand on, on the boy and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of the boy. And nothing happens. And, and Matthew's like, oh, oh stress. And then, and then the next disciple comes, says the same thing. Then another disciple comes, says the same thing. And it's like they've gone through all of the disciples and the people are starting to get worried. It's like, what, these, these people just been tricking me this whole time? Like, what, Jesus is just a fraud? What, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are almost laughing to themselves and, like, talking to the people. These are the people you lot were trying to follow? These are the men? They're, they're frauds. They can't even cast out demons. Da, 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 right? So this is the situation. Jesus has now come down the mountain and there's, like, a glow, right? There's a glow from the experience that they've had. Not only on Jesus, but Peter, James, and John also have the glow, right? So the, Jesus comes down the mountain and then it's almost like from the, the ridicule that's happening, there's now a, like a bit of a hush because they see Jesus come and he's looking like he's, he's, he's got some power, right? So now we get, then we get to verse 14. So we can understand like what has just happened. Yeah? So we get to verse 14. The man put, gives his son and he says, your disciples couldn't heal him. What does, what does Jesus say in verse 17? O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Cool. Who do you think Jesus is talking about when he says, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? The disciples. The disciples, right? I mean, you probably may be referring to the crowd a bit as well, but by and large, the disciples, yeah? Like, how long have I been with you? How long have we been, like, walking together, studying together? And he calls them faithless. Oh, faithless generation, right? And then he says, you know what? Bring the boy to me. Verse 18. Verse 
verse 18. And, and Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Cool. That's so Jesus really came... Yeah, go ahead, Ruben. No, no, sorry. I was just going to say that's a really short story. <laughs> I expected it to be like a, just a couple of verses. And just in one verse, it just says Jesus told him to go away and he went. This is this is the kind of like <laughs> thing Jesus is on at this point, the, and and again in Desire of Ages it talks about this this scene, kind of kind of dramatizes it a little. It's like um, all of like the angels were looking at this, like the evil and the good, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, the devil wasn't letting go of this boy, and Jesus starts coming, uh, starts walking over to him, and Jesus looks at him, and the boy starts convulsing on the floor just from Jesus's look like he's uncomfortable starts conversing on the floor starts making sounds da, 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 da. and all Jesus says is come out the boy and it says that very hour meaning that very moment it was done right as you said a very very short story so what's your what's the question now that the disciples are probably thinking to themselves so we all couldn't do it. We we all couldn't cast out the steam and how, how did Jesus do it so easily? Like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so effortlessly. <laughs> They've been trying there for hours, you can imagine, mm. with this boy, with all the crowd ridiculing them. You almost have this like um Elijah with the with the fire coming down from heaven kind of scene where it's like, right, this is the point where everyone's now looking at you. Time to come through. Mm. And one by one, all of them weren't able to do it. Right? And Jesus says, and they ask him, the disciples said, um, they came, the disciples, to Jesus apart, which means when the crowd had gone, they came to Jesus alone. Right? And they said, why could we not cast him out? Right? And we hit verse 20. And verse 20 and verse 21 is kind of where I want us to to rest for a bit, right? So let's read it first, verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth out, not out, but by prayer, and fasting. Thank you, Daniel. So, what did Jesus say? You, I don't know if he's trying to say that you need to put more into it or that you need to have more faith and then your actions will portray your faith and thus. Interestingly, it's actually different from that but before we go into the faith aspect right there's this thing there's this thing that that is happening right at this point mm. when at the point in which the disciples are trying to are trying to cast out this demon mm. what do you think is on their minds really are you talking about the time when there was the pig the pigs or are you talking about Oh, no, no, right now. Right. So the disciples are there trying to cast out the demon, yeah. right? 
in the name of Jesus, come out of the boy. Mm. Right? What what do you think is actually going through their mind? In the back of their mind while this, this whole scene is happening? I think, Michael, you're going to say something. Um, I guess they've... I guess they don't want to mess up. Like, there's a crowd. Yeah. Building anticipation. They expect something to happen. They They don't want... They they want to show that they can do this, um, but I guess I guess Jesus is telling them like they thought. I guess it's the idea that they thought their association with him made them powerful, and not a dependent, not having their own like dependent relationship on God. Basically, that is um, definitely a point, but not the point we want to address right now. We're going to come back to that. Cool, cool, cool. I just want to jump off what um, Michael just said, and I don't know if this is the answer, but it's just something. Right, that, sorry, um, it's just something that he made me think about just there. Um, in verse, what is it, eighteen, where we said that's a very short story. Jesus rebuked the devil, told him to go away, and that was that. Yeah, and I can almost imagine. You know, we've already gone and dramatized the scene, but I can almost imagine the disciples are there proper saying the words that Jesus is saying under their breath, trying to make sure that they're saying exactly the same way that Jesus said it. And wondering, you know, they probably thought to themselves, hold on, didn't, um, didn't Matthew say it exactly like that? Mm. You know, didn't, um, I'm trying to think of the names of other disciples, man. Uh, was Barnabas one? Yeah, didn't Barnabas? No, no, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly. Never mind, anyway. Yeah? But they're going through the list. And they're wondering, didn't, didn't my man use exactly the same language? Didn't he stand in exactly the same way? Didn't he use exactly the same upward inflection in his voice or do the right stance? What is it about what Jesus just did and what I just did, what Jesus did just did and what he just did that was different? And as we can see from the, the verse 19, they, they were a loss. They didn't know what the difference was. So when Jesus is turning around and telling them, um, it's because of your unbelief maybe there's something there again about exactly as you said Reese. what was going through their head when they were doing this were they thinking about themselves and themselves in relation to god thinking mm -hmm. okay oh wow that's where not, we want to get to it's not works hold on uh and then probably puffing up their chest kind of un unzipping their top button if that was if, sorry undoing their top button and then trying again and then setting their feet a little bit differently and then trying again and as, as it's failing more and more, as opposed to maybe thinking, you know, wow, okay, I really need to pray. Maybe their thought is really starting to be focusing on themselves and being like, oh no, I'm looking bad. Mm -hmm. I was going to say also, like, they probably did this in the past and it's just like, yeah, just do the same thing as we usually do. Like, you should come up with the same result, right? But, so they had like some faith, but is that really faith? Like, if you think about it, if you think, okay, it happened before, it's going to happen exactly the same way now in the way that I envision it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I guess it's the idea that... Um, yeah, it's just the idea, I guess. Their faith was just kind of ineffectual in that aspect. To the point that they were surprised at their failure, not knowing that um, this could be a learning curve for them in which they could 
yeah, it, it would be a learning curve for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know the point I was trying to make, but... <laughs> I'll tell you, get me, okay. Yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, no, sorry to interrupt, Reese. I, I think what Michael was saying is kind of true, but I also want to just say I've been thinking about it now and I'm looking at it and going back from further back, they've been apart from Jesus the whole night and Jesus is normally like, the one who gives all of them their like their main connection to God at this point. Obviously, we see later on in the scriptures when it comes to like the time that he gets he goes to heaven, they get the Holy Spirit, and it seems to be able that they're able to be much more secure in their faith at that point. But at this time, I think they're very dependent on Jesus, and the fact that they've had a time of separation as well has probably also made them a bit shaky in their beliefs mm-hmm. there's this um, context here is everything right context here is everything what happened at the start of the story he's transfigured before them no even before that right at the start of the story Jesus took oh. a select few disciples. Yeah. Right? Yeah, from that point, wouldn't you feel a bit like, oh, why did he leave me? Right, yeah. Maz, were you going to say something? Yeah, nah, I was... So, this whole time I've been thinking, like, um, they've spent a lot of time with Jesus. This whole time it's been about Jesus, you know, this... Um, the Jesus show, which we all know it is. But now Jesus is not there. They're probably feeling not very special, but they're, they're having people um, requiring healing now coming to them. And they're like, oh, Jesus is not here. Like, let's show the people what we can do. Like, now's our time to shine whilst he's not mm-hmm. here. Right. So we're, we're getting right there. Okay. So Jesus, right at the start of the story, says, you can imagine 12 of them are standing there, and he goes, right, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me up this mountain. We're going to have, have, have an experience, and you guys, I want you to go down into that town over there. Right? And in all of the disciples' minds, they're thinking, why wasn't I chosen? Why wasn't I chosen? I'm, I'm as, I've cast out demons the same way Peter, James, and John have. I'm, we're, the, we're the same as them. Why, why does Jesus always choose them and doesn't choose us? Right? And we, we even see in chapter 18, they, they even carry on this discussion even after this experience. Who is the greatest? Yeah? So the, in the disciples' mind, it's like, oh, why didn't Jesus choose me? Like, I'm, like, and it's almost like, as now this boy's come up to them, like, you know what? Nah, I'm going to prove it right now. I'm better than, than Peter, James, and John. It's almost like, as they have their hand on the boy, their eyes are on the mountain. Mm. Yeah? You can almost imagine their, their, their hand is on the boy, but they're looking up the mountain like, I should be there. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a glimmer of light up there. Why, why am I there? Why am I not here? Right? And then they say the words, in the name of Jesus, come out of the boy, and it has no power. Mm. Has no power. Right? And then what happens 
is, let's say Matthew went first, then Andrew sees Matthew fail, and he's just a bit like, oh, I've got an opportunity here. Matthew can do it. Here we go. My turn. Right? Either that, or he's like, oh, no, Matthew can do it. Now, I, 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 boy, I'm, I'm feeling a bit shaky now. And again, same thing happens over and over and over and over again because of this mindset of why wasn't I chosen? Now, you know what's deep? The truth is the nine were chosen for a greater work than Peter, James and John. Wow. So really, it was the nine that were chosen But because their thought process was too much on why wasn't I chosen? I'm better than X, Y, Z. I can do X, Y, Z. Me, 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 me. When the actual thing that Jesus chose them for to do, he sent them down there for that very, very reason. They couldn't do it. So much so that Jesus then says in verse 17, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer with you? That's interesting. It, it, it brings that verse into new light now you explain it. Because it's like, imagine you go through a period of training whilst working. And it's kind of like, you're now on your own. You should be fully trained now, but you don't. You still can't get it right. But it's like, you've, you've gone through probation. You, you know what to do, but it's kind of like, yeah. So in this context, Jesus was about to, you know, he was about to sacrifice himself. And it's and they're still at a point where they still lacked faith. So it, it makes sense where how he says, you know, how long shall I be with you? Because it's like, okay, like, do you need more time? Like, what am I missing here? Like, like, do I need to train you more? Like, how long do I have to be with you guys until you kind of get it that it's not that, you know, that the power doesn't come from, um, no, it, yeah, it's the idea that, you know, the power comes from, it doesn't come from your association, me being here with you, but it comes from you believing in me despite me not being physically present as well. So, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. You said something earlier, Mike. Um, you said that, like, you said something along the lines of, uh, they were relying on their past experience, maybe. Um, you know, like, this is just going to be just like it was before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You brought out something negative in that, in that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have been doing that. Um, they were there thinking that this is just as it's going to happen before. Mm. And yet, that, just as human beings, what we do. It's true. We can only make decisions based on what we've experienced. And how we see the world is obviously based on what we've experienced. So it's almost like an only human thing. So I get the point in there. But like, it's a case of, as human beings, all they could do is kind of remember what they've experienced. And yet, what I'm trying to pull out there, um, which I think bounces off the point that you just made, is this idea that maybe in their relying on their previous experience, in thinking that, oh, we've done this before and we'll just say the same words, we'll make the same stance, it will happen the same way. Their focus is potentially on themselves and uh, Reese, you already said it, you know, they're thinking now of themselves in that stance and they're not really thinking about who they went to for power. But 
So we, we, we need to understand. I, I think you alluded to it before um, with the idea, Reese, that in Matthew 10, verse 8, I think, that they've already gone out, had experience with, with healing people, mm. with uh, rebuking demons and having them leave. The disciples, the, sorry, the disciples have literally had experience of, um, of doing these things. But the same way that they went with Jesus then, and they had to rely on to a higher power, if for whatever reason, it's the same way that they're not relying, they're not in the same faithful way that they were um, mm. back now. And maybe it is because of this idea of we feel like we've grown. We feel like we're all, um, you know, stronger and that I'm way better than I was then. So I do feel like, why wasn't I chosen? I do feel like, you know, why am I still not on the top level? And again, what we've already said about the whole power dynamics and everything happening there. And I, I just want to really resonate with that point that's already been made about how they were the ones that were given a greater work because anyone can follow somebody. Anyone can observe somebody do something. But when you actually get the keys to the house, the keys to the car, and someone says, you can do this yourself now, that's when they've got the better responsibility. So these nine were left with that responsibility to say, okay, you guys can handle yourselves. These two, these three, it's not that Jesus loved any of them more than each other, but these three, they need to come with me and have an experience with me. You could call it babysitting, but you guys, you're grown. You can, you can have this. I trust you. Mm. It's almost like Jesus put more trust in them than they were putting in him, in putting in God. Sure. And therefore he's coming around and saying, hold on now. Um, how long am I going to be with you? You guys aren't getting this. I'm not going to be here all the time. Mm. You need to pattern up. Um, can I say something? Yeah. I think this whole jealousy and feeling inferior for not being chosen is a very dangerous mentality that we need to be careful of. Mm. Um, I think especially as Christians and um, I'm seeing I don't know if you guys have seen The Family on Netflix it's a bit conspiracy theory-ish but um, I recommend you watch it it really highlights kind of America and um, the beast but they have this whole thing um, about that Christians but God has chosen them to be leaders and therefore they can do what they want um, because they're chosen and you see the same with um, Jews today or um, the black Hebrew, Hebrew Israelites like there's that pride because they're chosen so um, this whole thing about everybody focusing on being chosen whether you're the chosen one so you're proud of that or you're not the chosen one and so you feel resentment or jealousy or in, um, you feel inferior it's um it's really dangerous can produce really dangerous results can stop you missing what god has actually planned for you yeah. and it's not the thing i think that really matters um yeah 
like Jesus wants you to see something else that's more important. So I just thought I'd highlight that. For sure, thank you. Um, but, yeah, go ahead, go. Okay, now I was just going to ask, so after, I was just listening to, you know, the various points. Are we saying that perhaps their reason for not being able to cast out the demons was, okay, you know what, we were a bit, we were jealous we weren't chosen. And because they had the spirit of, of that in them, because it would have been the devil that, you know, invoked that upon them. Is that the reason why they weren't able to cast it out? Or is it because they just genuinely had a lack of faith and they were like, okay, let's use rote learning. We've done this before. We're going to do it again. And hopefully it will work. So I'm just wondering, like, what it's, it's actually was it? It's a bit of both. And we're going, to, we're going to discuss the link between the two now, actually. Okay. Um, but, it's a great, but it's a great question, right? The, the, what should have the disciples done in this scenario, right? especially if they saw one, like, fail first. What should the next disciple have done? They should have got on their knees and said, you know what, God? I haven't got this in my bag. Like, this, this, (laughs) like, almost like Peter, James and John did when they heard the voice of God. Mm. It should have been like, you know what? I'm just, like, I'm not there at this point. I'm not there and so what they should have done is pray to God that prayer and allowed God in them because it's through humility that's where faith is really is really um, exercised right if you feel like you can do it if you feel like yeah I got this no worries right if you feel like you can do something then you're not exercising faith but if you feel like you can't do something, and in our, weak, in our weakness, his, what, strength is made perfect, right? That is when his strength, that's when you actually have to use faith. Then you're walking up to that boy saying, you know what? I can't do this, but God can. Mm. So, Abigail, to your question, that is where the fact that they, when, when they felt, felt inferior, maybe thought, yeah, yeah, you know what, I'm going to prove myself here. Right or felt inferior and said, "Oh, you know what? I'm not, I'm uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna walk up to it and say it." But you know, Jesus didn't choose me. Either way, though, we're not exercising faith, right? And this is where we're gonna get to um get to what Jesus said in his response, right? He said, "Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith of a grain of a mustard seed." You should be able to tell a mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Right? What does Jesus mean by when he says, if you have faith of a mustard seed? I think he's saying, if you have. Go ahead, Abigail, sorry. Uh, Um, I think he's saying that, you know, even if you have a little bit of faith, because a mustard seed is quite small, and he said if you have that measure of faith, you'd be able to move a mountain with that. So imagine what you'd be able to do if you had even a a greater amount of faith. What were we saying? 
Um, I lost the thought to words. Okay. Cool. Daniel, were you going to say something? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was another Daniel who wanted to speak. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, um, I think we need to remember what a seed is. A seed is something that has life inside of it and it is something that is able to grow most especially a mustard seed is a very small seed but it's got massive potential and we we are like that we all have massive potential inside of us so jesus is saying if we have if we give give just a little bit to jesus he will be able to show you what you can do with that little bit and automatically when a seed starts to sprout does it ever stop does the plants reverse no you keep going forward. You get more, you get more, you get more. You grow, you grow, you grow. Mm. Um, they can die, though. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I won't, I won't, call, I won't call that one off. But yeah. Agreed, right? So so you guys are true, right? You guys you guys said the right thing. Ruby, are you going to say something before I... Sorry, so I just wanted to jump in and say, so I see everyone emphasising this idea of the size of the mustard seed. Um, when I hear this, for me personally, I actually hear that faith is faith. Um, it's like the size doesn't matter, if that makes sense. Like even a mustard seed five, uh, sorry, mustard seed size of faith, yeah, can move a mountain. So if there's a little bit of faith present, then you don't need to be worrying about the size or the quantity. That that's faith, and that's enough. That's kind of. What Ways from that verse. Cool. Right. So, wait, are you saying you either have faith or you don't? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying, okay. I, when I read this, I read Jesus saying that this, this little amount of faith is operational. Yeah. So, as mm-hmm. long as you have this little hold on faith, there's enough there. Believe faith. it. That's mm-hmm. it. Perfect. Right. So, so, what we need to understand is it's not the quantity of faith, as Ruben is talking about, it is the substance of the faith that matters. How do we know this? By verse 21, it says, how be it this kind goeth not out, right? So this suggests, right, that there is multiple kinds of faith that you can have, Mm. right? But this kind of faith that I'm talking about, this faith that I'm talking about, doesn't matter how much you have, if you have any of this kind of faith, you can do, and there'll be nothing that is impossible for you. Please. What's going on? Sorry, no, um, this, this, this point that you've just made there, I've never read it before like that in my life. Because I've always assumed that it talks about, it says verse 20, it, Jesus gives his kind of rebuke to the disciples. And then in verse 21, I always assumed it was almost like he was going back on himself. Because he's saying this kind and go if not out by prayer and fasting. And I always thought he was talking about the demon itself. As if to say, okay, so it's because of your unbelief. You need to believe more. You need to have faith like a mustard seed. But actually, even still, these, this type of demon, you've got, there are levels to it and you need to actually have, um, uh, you know, have your prayer and fasting in order to actually be able to take on this demon. But I've never seen it before. Like Jesus is talking about this type of faith. Mm. that this type of faith can only be gathered by experience with God. Mm. And so that's just something that jumps out differently to me. Awesome. 
right? And so now we need to explore what this kind of faith is, right? What kind of faith is Jesus talking about? What kind of faith were they lacking? And what's interesting is that we had a discussion on Thursday um, in a men's group that was discussing the idea of what? Trust. Trust, right? Who was, in, who was in that group? Nathan and Ruben, you were in that group, right? I was here too. And Daniel, cool. What does what what is the definition of trust? Daniel, I'm gonna let you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> you <enjoy. laughs> Wouldn't it just um, like having faith in someone to do something? With the risk that they might not. Okay, right? Mm-hmm. Faith, trust, the word trust is indicative of, um, with the word risk. Yeah, risk. Right? Which means, if I trust you to do something, it means that if you don't do it, it's going to hurt me in some way. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm going to let you do it because I trust you. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And so... If your faith is missing risk, being trust, then how deep is your, is your faith really? What do I mean? Right? What do I mean? What kind of... When we talk about faith, right, we often um, link it to this idea of belief. Yeah. What, do, what do we think of the, what is the difference between faith and belief? I think it was said that you don't have to um, you don't have to have faith to believe but you have to believe to have faith or something like that there's some kind of relationship between the two <laughs> okay that was wrong I remember that <laughs> I can't give you an answer consistently but I know what Imhotep was saying. There was a relationship between the two of them. Mm. Come on, guys. What is the difference between faith and belief? So if you believe in something... Belief is something that we have, like... It is is there to be broken, if that makes sense. As long as you believe something, until you are proved otherwise, it will remain a constant. you get me? Whereas faith is the opposite. You have... You you want it to happen and you consistently want it to happen rather than uh i don't know if i make sense i think i think i got it i think i got it i think i got it i think belief is stuff something that you have evidence for is that it oh yeah faith is no 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 you guys well we're somewhere we're somewhere along the way somewhere you're you're somewhere, you're somewhere. Basically, let me let me give you let me give you an analogy, right? Let me give you an analogy. Um I could get I could see a plane, right? I could be I could be in an airport and I could see a plane. And I could say, I believe that that plane is gonna fly and reach its destination. Okay. I believe that, right? It takes faith. To get into the plane. Right. So the belief is the one that doesn't have the risk. Exactly. Right? I knew it's not the risk. I need to trust the plane 
to have faith in it. Mm-hmm. We understand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you can I could I could believe um that I can fly. I could believe that until I'm dead. I could fly. But until I jump off a building I will I will have faith but I I have faith in that. Yeah. You understand? Because faith and trust are intrinsically ladled with risk. Yeah. So what we're talking about in terms of when we talk about this kind of faith when we talk about in, in, in Christianity, right? What kind of risks do we take in Christianity? When we're talking about faith. That the world won't know you and won't kind of have any affinity with you. So you're going to lose relationship and opportunity that because people don't understand what you're about. Awesome. That's one. Awesome. Maz? Your tithe is an example of faith. Your tithe is an example of faith. Big one. Fantastic. What else? Like, we have faith that Jesus is going to come again. Uh, faith that Jesus is going to come again, yes, but we could also believe that Jesus is going to come again. What makes it, it faith? I know our whole lives like an example of this because we believe every night when we go to sleep, we have faith that God will wake us up in the morning. Again, there's not, not a lot of risk there. there isn't it? Isn't it? I could say, I, be- I believe that I wake up tomorrow morning. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, so the, the, the point is, Right, where where we really have faith, right? Where where faith is really needed is when it comes to this idea of salvation. Yeah. Right. Mm. There's this idea of 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 letting go and letting God. Yeah. Right. What does letting go and letting God mean? I don't know for you people, but for me, letting go and letting God has been. I've come to the point where there is no more I can do, possibly mentally, emotionally, whatever way, there's no more. So I just have to breathe out and say, it's in your hands. That's me. Um, yeah. About giving up control. Yeah. yeah. It's about surrendering. Yeah. yeah. Right, surrender. Mm-hmm. So when I have, say it's about tithe, right? Faith comes in with tithe when it's like, I literally don't have enough money. Literally, if I give this 10%, I will not be able to pay my mortgage. Mm. Let's say that's the example. Mm. Not just, oh, I pay tithe, I have enough money, but I pay tithe anyway. That's not, taken, that's not taking a lot of faith. It's great, you should do it, but that's not taking a lot of faith. When it's the point where it's like, I will not be able to survive, like the bank is going to come and take the house, mm. right? Now there's risk. Mm. We understand. Mm. Now it's like, are you going to do it or are you going to re- or are you not going to do it because this is it right it's where the rubber hits the road mm. and it's at this point where you say you know what I trust God is going to pull something out of the bag mm. so here's my time it's a little bit mad um, I'm just coming off that Reese, because I, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I've spent a lot of time trying to separate this idea of belief and faith and trust. And, you know, in all of the definitions I've heard, you can't, you know, they all bounce off each other and help to define each other. Mm. And we're saying, you know, um, Maz dropped a, wow, Maz, that verse that you dropped in the group. 
um, uh, James 2 verse 19, it says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. Nice. So we can see then that, you know, the, the demons that are attacking people, that, you know, the devil himself believes that there is a God. But how then does that affect behavior? Mm. Um, yes, I haven't even got anything else to add on that. Let me just leave. Yeah, just, just leave that powerful, powerful. How does it affect behavior? That's exactly what it is. How does your belief affect your behavior? And so when we look at this example in um, Matthew 17, the disciples couldn't let go of the situation. It was too much. They, they had to control it. It had to be, no, 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 no. Like, if, if I don't put in effort, if I don't try, if I don't pull something out of the bag here, it's game over. Right? Not only is this little boy not going to be able to, um, like, move forward in his life because he's demon-possessed, but all of these people who are now watching it's actually now probably more about the people who are watching and less about the boy. Because I need to fix this. When actual fact, if they had faith, yeah. they would have been like, God has got this. God, I don't have this, but you've got this. And really, that is the prayer of faith. That is literally the prayer that we should be praying every day. Mm-hmm. When we're struggling with sin, God, I don't have this, but you've got this. When we need to um, get a new job or find a house or find a spouse, I'm not going to, like, marry the next person I see, right? I'm going to risk not marrying the first person I see because I know, God, you've got this. And this is the kind of faith that moves mountains. It's not just the belief as, as Maz wrote in James 2.19 that, you know, the devil has, because, you know, I believe in God as well. Yeah, great. You know, it's behavior altering belief. Is there any other point? Ruben, what do you mean by there was too much at stake? I'm just going to think out loud with you guys for a second. Um, you were basically saying, um, see, see, some of my messages on the chat won't make sense because I'm saying them to add on to points that are being spoken in real time when you look at them later. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you were basically saying... Uh, the, the disciples had too much to lose then, you know? Mm. They were in that situation and they re- they recognised that this was a defining moment. Mm. Mm. And yet when all was said and done, all of their, whatever they were doing, and to be fair, I, I don't know, but I can imagine only thinking about what I'd be doing in that same situation and from personal experience, when I've literally had my back up against the wall, 
and you realize that there's too much at stake, you do a lot. You know, you're praying, maybe you're seeking God, trying to study, maybe you're, um, you know, getting people involved, or maybe asking them to pray for you, or you're talking and letting people know what's going on. Um, maybe you're trying and putting a lot of effort in. But I'm just thinking about a situation that I've gone through where there's been too much at stake for me to kind of, to fail. And yet, just like these disciples, recognizing that there was too much at stake, recognizing that they had to, as you said, Reese, pull one out of the bag, they still couldn't do anything. And we've said already here that it was that same acknowledgement of, I cannot do anything. That was what they needed to have in the first place to have faith. Mm, exactly. It was being willing to let go of their pride and to say, you know, this ain't me. That would have actually enabled them to, to demonstrate that they're leaning on God. Mm. And it's shook me. I mean, I say shook me. It's, it's, it's very humbling to recognize that we go through these situations all the time. But because we're not willing to let go, we're not actually protected from failure because the protection that we have is not in, in our ability that Reuben James will once be, will eventually be strong enough to handle these situations. But the, the defense that we have is that Reuben James will be weak enough to recognize that God can handle the situation. And sometimes we like to see it the other way around where we're eventually going to build up the tolerance where we won't have to go to Jesus, which is maybe what these disciples were doing. Mm -hmm. When actually the, the faith part of it is recognizing that I will never be able to handle this without God. Exactly. Choosing to need that. So. Exactly. Um, and this is why right at the end it says, um, it doesn't happen without prayer and fasting. Because prayer and fasting is, a, is an exercise that we can all take mm. to have faith that God will pull you through. Like denying yourself food is an action of faith because it's saying, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to eat by myself. I'm not going to sustain myself. I'm going to allow God to sustain me. And there's this little Ellen White quote from Desire of Ages that I just want to finish on. It says, their faith must be strengthened by prayer and fasting fervent prayer and fasting and humiliation of heart they must be emptied of self and be filled with the spirit and, and power of God earnest preserving supplication to God in faith faith that leads to enter dependence upon God and unreserved consecration to his work can alone avail to bring men the Holy Spirit's aid in the battle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spirit um, and wicked spirits in high places. Right. Faith that leads to entire dependence on God. That's literally what it is. And that's what um, prayer and fasting practices. It's interesting there. You said faith that leads to it. So it's not enough to just have um, the faith in the first place. But again, um, a lot of the language that was used in that, um, the, the passage I just read 
was persevering, enduring, entire faith. Yeah. And you've got so many verses in the Bible that say things like, he that began a good work in you, which is, is able to complete it. And um, personally, I've experienced this time and time again, where, you know, I have uh, what would be like a spiritual experience that's like amazing, you know? And, you know, further down the line, I'm acting like I've never had it. Mm. And there's some, Thing to be said about actually allowing God to build upon this, the experiences that he gives you rather than taking the experiencing and cutting and running um, so that you're, you're there just like the disciples and saying okay I've done this before so I can do it again when in actual fact you actually didn't allow God to actually um, teach you the lesson that you were supposed to learn in the last one so you've had the experience but it's not actually benefiting you because you've not actually let Jesus finish the way that he was starting. It's crazy. Can I say something quickly? Yeah, go for it. Um, so the book, some of y'all know that I was reading, Crazy Love. I finished reading it, in case anyone wants to borrow it, um, by Francis Chan. He says... Wow, beautiful uh, book. Beautiful book. How we um, live our lives is how we live our days and he talks about what part of your daily life actually requires faith in God like if everything you do is based on calculated decisions based on evidence of things that you've seen when what part of your life actually requires God to work in your life and if you put yourself in like if you actively put yourself in situations where you really really need God to come through to the point where you're basically forcing him to come through um just in your daily life um and it doesn't even have to be anything big like you know the ones where you're like God I really really need you to come through and then he actually does it helps your relationship to grow with God Mm. so much because you're like you know the ones where you're like, wow, God, like you, you're actually there. Like you actually really are looking out for me. So, um, yeah, just think about that. Like even just as small as daily life, like which parts of it am I actually allowing God to, you know, just work in it? Um, crazy love. I'll send you a picture. I'll put it in the chat, actually. Yeah, that's a great point. And yeah, so... Fantastic, but Francis Chan is one of my uh, one one of my favorite um, pastors for sure. So we're gonna auction this book after Sabbath, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, is there any other points before we close? No. Okay. Um, Michael, can you pray for us to close, please? Sure. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'd just like to thank you so much for this opportunity to come together once again to go into your words. And as we looked at um, the importance of faith and how it isn't just something that faith and belief are completely different entities. Faith requires us to um, really put ourselves at risk, Lord, so that your name, so, so, so that your actions can be evident in our lives. 
it's having that faith like Job had, though you slay me, I will trust in you. Mm-hmm. Though, though whatever life may throw at us, we will, we will trust in you. And if, and if there's a choice of choosing the easier route or taking the narrow road, we'll choose the narrow road because we trust that you will um, guide us through that narrow road and it won't, and it, and that where, and where it leads to will be for our good and that it will bear us. So I just like to thank you for this reminder for um, in the study. Bless everyone who was able to make it. Thank you for all the contributions. Continue to bless us as we go throughout the Sabbath. Bless us now even more. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That was a great study, Reese.